Creative Babble. After seven hours of deliberation, the jury came back with a verdict in the murder of Praveen Verghese. The jury found Gage Bethune guilty of one count of first-degree felony murder in the 2014 death of Praveen Verghese. Even though a jury found Gage Bethune guilty of murder, the judge decided to overturn the verdict. I'm John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. And I'm Javier Leva with the Pretend Podcast. And this is Criminal Conduct Season 4, Getting Away with Murder. Hey, all you true crime fans, this is Mike Ferguson. And this is Mike Morphe. And we'd like to invite you to listen to our podcast, Criminology. Launched in 2017, we've covered a variety of strange cases from murders to missing persons. Some of the cases are ones you may not have heard of. Other cases we cover are some of the most historic in true crime. There are 200 episodes of Criminology available to binge on right now. And new episodes come out every Saturday night. Subscribe to Criminology today, wherever you listen to your podcast. Five days after Praveen went missing, police discovered his body frozen in the woods. But they didn't just stumble upon his body. The police were tipped off. Here's local radio host, Monica Zukas. There was a tip. Well, his cousin called and told on him for the reward. The tipster that called and said, my cousin got in a fight with him. Can I get that money? I know where he's at. He's in the woods by B-dubs. This statement is being taped. Yes, sir. And this is with your permission? Yes. Um, why don't you just uh, just tell me what brought you here tonight? The police interview has some poor quality and it's tough to make out, but we do have the transcript. The Carbondale police detectives are interviewing an individual by the name of Jonathan Stanley. Javier, he told detectives that he saw a report on TV about a missing SIU student and that the family had put up a $15,000 reward. So he basically just decided to cash in on this reward money? Well, it seemed like that was at least part of his motivation. But you know what? This tipster isn't just some random guy off the street. He's actually the cousin of the person who was last with Praveen. Yeah, that's right. Jonathan Stanley told the police that he and his cousin Gage Bethune, they went with some friends to a party in Carbondale. It was a house on College Street. And for many kids in Southern Illinois, Carbondale is the place to go. It's where the parties are. It's where people go to have fun. Jonathan Stanley says that his cousin Gage didn't drink that night, which I find highly unlikely because this guy drove a pretty far distance to go to this party town. But Jonathan says that at some point that night, his cousin Gage decided to leave the party alone. This is where the story that Jonathan is telling the police kind of breaks down a little bit for me. What he claims is that Gage left without him. And so he and his friends were basically just left at this party by themselves as Gage left. And the thing is that they lived, you know, 30, 40, 50 minutes away from where this party was. It would not be easy or trivial for them to get a ride home in the middle of the night when they didn't know a lot of people at this party. 
And so Jonathan just kind of says, oh, I got to ride home from somebody. But this is where we don't know where everyone went at this point. Yeah, this is not making sense to me because if Gage left alone, then how does his cousin Jonathan Stanley know anything about Praveen? Yeah, and pretty much everything that Jonathan is telling the police, it's secondhand information. Well, actually, it should all be secondhand information because according to Jonathan Stanley, Gage just told him this information. So he's relaying what Gage told him. And what Gage told him was when he saw the news, he told Jonathan Stanley, his cousin, that the missing kid on the news, who actually turned out to be Praveen, he had given that kid a ride in his truck that night. And so he told him that Praveen stole $25 out of his truck, and he wasn't going to let him out of his truck until he got his money back. And according to Gage, his words were, Praveen was getting tough with him, is how he described it. So eventually they pulled over on the side of the road on Route 13, just outside of Carbondale. And Gage tells Jonathan that Praveen jumps out of the truck and takes off running down a hill. Gage supposedly catches him, tackles him, gets his money back and goes back to his truck. And then Praveen just runs off into the woods. This is the story that Jonathan Stanley relayed to the police that Gage told him. So if Jonathan Stanley is telling the truth and Gage saw the news and realized that the missing kid was the same guy that he had a tussle with on the side of the road. But my question is, if Gage was really that concerned, why didn't he go to the police? Yeah, I'm not sure why Gage didn't go to the police. I mean, maybe he didn't think anybody would be able to connect the two of them. I mean, maybe he was scared. I don't know. I mean, it's just it's kind of a mystery to me. But I talked to lovely Praveen's mom about this. when. The police interviewed uh, Jonathan Stanley. Were you aware of that at the time or were you unaware no, that was going on? We knew nothing. So Monday evening, there was a vigil at SIU arranged by province friends. We were there and there was rumors at that time that there was some kind of tip. There is a tip, there is a tip, but we did not know. But that's the time. While the vigil was going on, Jonathan was in the police station. There was some kind of rumor going around. We were never told anything. And after we came to Chicago, we received a letter from the detective asking for the reward money for Jonathan Stanley. That's when we found out for the first time about a tipster and the name. And we did not respond to that. You have to understand that Lovely and the rest of the Varghese family, they were in the dark. All they knew was the results of this independent autopsy. They didn't have any police files, nothing. The police didn't even tell Lovely that they had a potential suspect named Gage Bethune. Yeah, the only thing they were going on was gut feeling. And their gut feeling was that things were moving in the wrong direction. So let's talk about Gage Bethune. John, what do we know about this guy? He was reportedly the last person to have seen Praveen Varghese. Yeah, so at the time when this all happened, Gage was 19 and he wasn't a college student at SIU. And that's noteworthy because that's kind of a divide in the area. You've got the college students in Carbondale. And then you got the locals, right? Yeah, you've got the locals around him. So he was one of the locals. You know, he worked blue collar jobs. He lived in between two places, two small towns. One was West Frankfurt, and the other one was El Dorado. 
And both those towns are, you know, three, five, 10,000 people. So what do we know about his family? Yeah, so he's got a younger brother who's about two years younger than him. And the family is from the area. And there's speculation and rumors that the family has money. For the initial narrative, they were, and I have to say spinning, was everything's fine, nothing over here. He was drunk, he ran off into the woods to his own demise. After that press conference, did he have any injuries? And the former police chief, Jody O'Glynn, said something to the effect of, uh, there were no outward signs of any injury that would make us suspect that anything bad had happened. Every single person in that family is medical. They got to view Praveen. Not only was he not, not injured, he had literally what Lovely described as a dent in his forehead. So whenever I heard the press conference and they said, no, everything's fine over here, I was enraged. Number one, Praveen took a ride um, with a recent acquaintance is the exact verbiage they used. This was not a recent acquaintance. They hadn't sat and talked for hours on end. This was a complete stranger that he'd never seen before that didn't go to school where he went to school. And it was a stranger. It was not a recent acquaintance. The narrative is starting to take shape, but the community down in southern Illinois, they weren't buying it. Monica's radio show just took off and everyone in Carbondale and including the surrounding areas, wanted to know what really happened to Praveen. It just exploded, exploded. After getting a couple hundred uh, SoundCloud listens each time I'd upload a show every Friday, I went to bed, I woke up, and it said like 22,000. There's no way it was 22,000 overnight. I mean, for me to usually have one or 200, I was like, everybody else is thinking what I'm thinking. In 2014, there were 26,000 people living in Carbondale. So that's almost like the yeah, entire town of Carbondale was listening to you. 20,000. That's the whole population of the town. There were sometimes months and years in between when we would get a break. They found Praveen on Tuesday, and I had a husband telling me, don't you dare. Do not talk about a deceased kid. You've already talked about Molly Young's case. It's very controversial. What if this kid from Chicago was bad? What if he is a drug dealer? What if the kid from our area is good? What if this family doesn't want you to talk about him? Do not do this. Like, I don't support this. So I went to the show that night, and I talked about him. <laughs> <laughs> I knew I had to. It, it, it was pouring out of me. It was like a command. I had to raise those questions. Monica and Lovely continued their search for the truth, even though the state's attorney, Mike Carr, didn't really seem inclined to pursue charges. Gage Bethune was walking around like this incident never happened. However, the second autopsy clearly showed that Praveen had been involved in a little more than just a scuffle on the side of the road. The community down in Carbondale, they were outraged because there was very little movement from the police, from prosecutors. And then August 2014, the Carbondale city manager fired the police chief, Jody O'Gwen. The city manager specifically stated it had nothing to do with any of the current unsolved cases or Praveen's death investigation. I mean, maybe, maybe not, but a lot of people in the area believed that the chief's failure to get any arrests contributed to him being let go. And though the case wasn't going anywhere, Monica discovered video evidence that put Gage Bethune at the scene on the night in question. The night Praveen went missing, 
an Illinois state trooper pulled up behind Gage Bethune's truck on the side of Route 13 just outside Carbondale, not far from where the police later found Praveen. Well, first of all, nobody from the police station originally told Lovely that there was a state trooper on the scene that night because they didn't even freaking know. So once I started talking about Praveen, somebody that was friends with Gage sent me a message and said, hey, please, please don't say my name. I'm friends with Gage Bethune. He came to my house the night after this happened. He was pulled over by a state trooper. The kid ran. They got in a fight. The state trooper let him go. So don't talk about him because he didn't do anything wrong. And I said, what do you mean a state trooper? So I called one of my friends that was working for the Carbondale Times at the time, and he called the Illinois State Police and said, can I get a FOIA request for any 911 calls or any roads or for any pullovers on Route 13 between this time and this time? And I'll be damned. My info, my intel via Facebook Messenger, haha, was right. And what we now know to be Gage Bethune came walking up from the woods. So I broke the story about the state trooper. I'm a random mom in Marion doing a show that like has 200 listens. I found out there was a state trooper and I called the news. What the hell's going on? That's how it started. But isn't that key to everything? That set everything in motion, didn't it? If I would not have got that tip, and if I would not have had a friend that called, I didn't know what a FOIA request was. I didn't know how to call the Illinois State Police and ask that general question to get what I needed. But if I wouldn't have got that tip about that state trooper, nobody would have known. John, we've both seen this trooper video. It's taken, the footage is taken from the point of view of the trooper's police vehicle. And the trooper is driving along Highway 13. It's pitch black when all of a sudden in the distance, you see flashing yellow lights on the side of the road. So how important is this trooper video to the investigation? Well, I think that the main thing is we now have like independent verification that Gage Bethune was at this location at this time, which it was about 1230 at night. He's on the side of the road on Route 13. That's kind of the main takeaway, but we also know what Gage was wearing, and we know many things that we'll get into later about what he said to the state trooper. What kind of were your takeaways from this? Yeah, it's very cold. You could tell these guys don't want to be there, but the trooper is talking to Gage, and then after a while, he shines his flashlight into the woods on the side of the road. But he didn't go down to look for anything. He just was examining the area. The, the whole incident just lasted a couple minutes, right? Yeah. So there were some interesting things. When the trooper pulled up about 15 to 20 seconds after he pulls up, you can see Gage come walking up the hill and run, walk in front of the state trooper's car. And according to Jonathan Stanley's story, he said that Praveen ran off into the woods and then Gage came back up to his truck. Now, Jonathan Stanley didn't say anything about the state trooper. However, if there's any truth to the story that Gage told Jonathan Stanley that he, and he again told to the police, then this means that Praveen ran off right when that state trooper got there because Gage was still down the hill. So Gage came up the hill because of the state trooper. When he comes up the hill, you can see Gage's hands are inside his pants pocket. 
And to me, that tells me two things. One is just how cold it is. The other thing is that that would prevent the state trooper from seeing Gage's hands. And so if Gage had been in a fight, if there was some kind of incident with Praveen, the trooper may not have seen Gage's hands, at least not initially. So that I found was very noteworthy. And then, like you said, once the trooper had Gage get back into his truck and the trooper walked up to the truck, he is seen shining his flashlight into the woods along the tree line there several times during the conversation. What we learned later from the state trooper's report was that Gage had told him that he picked up a black hitchhiker on the side of Route 13. That's not true. Praveen's not black. He didn't pick up a hitchhiker. He, he picked him up much earlier than that. And so the trooper is looking at the woods because that's what Gage is saying, but he doesn't do any kind of investigation there. But I think the most critical thing about this video is that it puts a timestamp on a very critical point in this investigation. We know where Gage Bethune was at that moment. He was at the same place, not far from where Praveen's body would eventually be found. Now, one of the questions about this investigation is, was Gage drinking that night? Was he clear-headed? Was he intoxicated? Did the trooper give Gage Bethune any type of sobriety test? No. And yeah, based on this video and what we saw, the trooper never looked into or did any kind of testing to validate whether Gage was drunk or not, which is interesting because it's 1230 at night. They're on the side of a road. Gage was already stopped. It's unusual behavior. It wouldn't have been out of character for the trooper to test his sobriety. However, I think that the cold was a significant factor in that. I, I just think that every second counted and that trooper felt like he had done enough and that, you know, he wasn't, he didn't appear visibly drunk to the trooper. So I guess he just decided to let Gage go. When John and I were in Carbondale, we asked Stan Reno, the police chief, who was actually the deputy chief during Perrine's disappearance, why didn't they know that this trooper dash cam video existed? The trooper that was, had come up there, so when he came out here, and he had contact with them, and then he cleared, and then his, fa- his wife called, and he had a, a family death, and so he left work that morning right after this, got on the interstate, and went to Chicago for a family emergency. So when the stuff was hitting the media here, he didn't see it. And so he didn't make that connection right away. He didn't make the connection. Plus, unlike on TV and in the movies, you know, different police departments are not perfectly in sync. So the Carbondale Police Department doesn't know exactly what the Illinois State Troopers are doing and vice versa. You know, it's much more of an ad hoc conversation and communication between departments to know exactly what investigations each one is working. One year after Praveen's death, his family returned to Carbondale, where they marked the occasion by hiking to the area where his body was found. Lovely said that the walk and visiting the place where Praveen was found brings him a sense of closure. At the time, the Verghese family believed the Carbondale police were covering up the truth about Praveen's death. However, for anything to move forward past a certain point, the state's attorney, Illinois' version of the district attorney, has to be on board. And in this case, that was Mike Carr. So talk about the first time that you had communication with Mike Carr, who was the state's attorney at the time, and how the investigation was unfolding. The police wasn't telling us anything. 
the day we were leaving Carbondale, the day Praveen had the autopsy and everything, we met with the police in the evening. So I found his number and I told Monica, I said, I'm going to call my car. She's like, be careful, you know. So I called his office and I left a message. He calls me back in the evening. My goodness. You know, initially he offered his sympathy and all that. And then he said, okay, you tell me, what is your understanding about your son's death? And I said, I don't know what happened, but this is what the private investigator is telling. You know, like we had a private investigator. And he goes, okay. Uh, so the private investigator told you that he was... He he was drunk. He had uh, uh, he had uh, two four locos. Do you know what a four loco is? I said no. I don't know. I I I had no idea. I mean, and and he goes well. These college kids they put cocaine in there, and uh, me and five other states attorneys worked on it, and we banned this here, banned that. You know, he was telling me all these things. My head started to spin. And he, he's like, your son was involved in many illegal activities. He was not the model son you thought you had. And uh, don't, uh, I'm going to make this report public. So I'm on the phone with him for like 80 some minutes. And he's telling me all these things. And I'm like, oh my God, Praveen did something. They have him on video doing something. So he's telling me that the report is not going to be pretty. And he said, don't drag your son's name through all this. So, so he wanted he wanted you to kind of back off a little up. Shut because up. Uh, yeah. this would only look unfavorably on your son. Right. After Lovely's meeting with Mike Carr, she wrote an official complaint about the state's attorney and submitted it to the Carbondale Human Relations Commission, which handles complaints against local law enforcement agencies. And as you can imagine, this didn't go very well. When was the next time you communicated with Mike Carr? The next time I um, saw him was in September of 2014. I told Monica, I said, I think I'm going to go to Mike Carr's office and see him. And she said, you're crazy. See what he says. And we were outside waiting at his office. He came up and he's like, come on in. And he goes, how do you pronounce your last name? And I said, Varghese. So he's like, come on in. So we sat down. The first thing he said was, I don't appreciate anything you said in the Human Relations Committee. And I, and I, said, I said, I did not say anything that wasn't true. Everything I said in that mail was everything that you told me. He was just so mad. On a tirade. He's just going, going, going. He was so, 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 so bad. He was ready to like chew me up. So, you know, when he said something like my son had a comfortable death, I cried. That's, that's the only time I cried in front of him. So that was the end of it, end of his conversation with me. And he said, I will let your lawyer know when my report is complete. Now he's got little bitty lovely trying to trying to question him. He snapped on her ass. And he told her in that meeting, 
whatever you think you're going to do, I will undo. And he did. He was saying how amazing he is, how respected he is, how much his wife and kids love him, how Gates did nothing wrong. His story's plausible. It's not plausible, blah, blah, blah. Next time on Criminal Conduct, rumors are going around that a grand jury is reviewing the evidence in Praveen's case. That's next time on Criminal Conduct. Conduct was written and produced by me, Javier Leva, with the Pretend Podcast, and John Taylor with the Twisted Podcast. Punit Shinoi with the Podcast Pundits helped us with the production and editing on this series. If you want to binge the entire series, all nine episodes, check out the link in the show notes. It will take you to the Criminal Conduct Patreon page. The episodes are also available on Pretend Plus on Apple Podcasts. Our theme music was written and produced by Ruby Rose Fox. Of course, follow us on social media. We are at CriminalCon on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. All right, we'll talk next week. Creative Babble.